When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herb Tell. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, he's back. He's been here before. We always enjoy having Charles Brand with us. How are you, sir? Welcome back to Hertel. I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you doing this fine day? Uh, better than some of these folks in California that's dealing with yet another piece of regulatory uh, headache that we got to deal with here. You were writing about it. You wrote about it in uh, the OC Register. Big picture-wise, what is it about California that they're always tweaking with regulatory law when it comes to labor? This is what the third or fourth bill in as many years. It's kind of along these same line. This, this is habit. I know it's a blue state. I know it's a progressive state in the power structures of the city, even though there's enclaves that are red. This sure seems to be like a song that we've sung before, my friend. It absolutely is, and you hit the nail right on the head. California is a deep blue state with a deep blue legislator and a deep blue governor. Um, so, so long as both houses of the California legislator are on board and, and Gavin Newsom, who is, is oftentimes loath to disagree with the legislator, uh, you're going to have legislation, regardless of the fact of how far-reaching or radical it is relative to the other states in the union. And notwithstanding the fact that the regulatory consequences are oftentimes fairly grim for the people that the legislator claims uh, to uphold and cherish through legislation of this kind. So you're absolutely right. It's par for the course for California. Um, and it's not all too common uh, given the, the kind of uh, unipolar uh, political landscape out in the Golden State. Okay, so this thing is called the FAST Recovery Act. FAST being an acronym, that means it's all capitalized, means those words mean something else. I, I know we fiddle with the names here, but break down for folks. Let's before we get into what it actually does. What is it intended to do? Like, if it was in a perfect world in a vacuum, the people that propose this legislation, it magically waves a wand and solves what? So it is a bill that establishes a wage council. It's a commission of sorts uh, with with ten members many if not all of whom are appointed by Governor Newsom and some of which have to come from uh, the restaurant industry, some of which have to come from the union um, uh, walk of life. So there are certain parameters as to who can serve on the commission. Um, but it is a commission established for the sole purpose of, uh, and I quote the legislation here directly, uh, establishing sector-wide minimum standards on wages, working hours, and other working conditions adequate to ensure and maintain the health, safety, and welfare of, and to supply the necessary cost of uh, proper living to fast food restaurant workers, and to ensure and affect intra-agency cooperation and prompt agency responses regarding issues affecting the health, safety, 
and employment of fast food restaurant workers. It is essentially a regulatory blank check um, for this 10 member commission to set in place uh, labor laws for a very specific industry, that being the fast food industry. Uh, of course, the legislators um, favorite friends uh, are immunized from the council's regulatory onslaught, and we'll get into that in a minute. But in essence, there is this commission, it will be regulating labor laws, but only with respect to fast food industry workers. And this commission is empowered with substantial discretion to, to set the standards as it sees fit, though there are some parameters, for instance, um, as it's starting out, it can only go as high as $22 an hour with respect to the minimum wage. And I imagine there are other uh, broad parameters with respect to working conditions. But uh, the point uh, it, it is all the same. The discretion of this commission to regulate the working standards of fast food industry workers is substantial. Okay, Charles Brand joining us. It's not that this sector doesn't need regulation, because it does. It's not that it's a sector that isn't a high priority in our economy, because the service sector industries like fast food workers are having both labor problems and shortages at the same time, even though unemployment's long. That's all valid. My concern here is, I'm not necessarily anti-union. Uh, I come from West Virginia. If anybody ever needed a union, it was the coal miners. They needed a union. My problem with the modern version of the American Union is it gets too cuddly with the U.S. government. Originally, unions were just as much against the government as they were for the workers and against the companies. Because my concern here is when you have the unions, which is what this commission is going to be stacked full of people, union and union adjacent. Let's all be adults here. And you have the government working hand in hand. If the workers got a problem with the union or the government, then where do they go? That's a great question. Uh, I, I guess they can look inward <laughs> for themselves and ask for, for, for personal advice and counsel. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's been increasingly common, especially in democratic, uh, the circles of democratic politicians, for unions to have an outsized influence on policymaking. Um, on the national stage, an example is uh, one of the presidents of one of the biggest teachers unions, Randy Weingarten, is currently out in Ukraine uh, doing God knows what. I'm not sure even in what capacity she's over there. PR. But she, PR is the word you're looking for. Yes, Andrew. I was, I was, I guess, trying to be a bit kinder than you. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Um, but, you know, it, it's, yes, the union influence, especially in democratic policy circles, is massive, and it should come as no surprise, uh, given the fact that public sector unions, especially, are uh, in the pocket of today's Democratic Party and are a powerful and, and financially capable constituency of theirs that, that uh, in the view of many, has has gotten them across the finish line in pivotal elections far and wide. Uh, so it is absolutely a problem, and there is this increasing trend toward governmental collusion with the private sector um, as a means of advancing goals that undercut the bottom line of the common man. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, Charles Brandt joining us. This bill actually is the final form of a couple other things. You detail this in your piece as well. This came out of the fight for 15 stuff. This came out of originally this legislation was aimed uh, very narrowly directly at fast food workers. It's been expanded out a little bit. Talk about the path, because I think one thing we skip with re- with legislation and regulation like this, we get that line item at the end, like, oh, $22 minimum wage. That's what they're doing. The path that a piece of legislation like this takes actually tells you more about the intention and what it might do and where it might grow from because we understand something like a commission they're not going to stop expanding their power they're going to keep pushing the limits of that power i think the course of how this came into being is very important to understand where this might be going in the long term and you touch on that well as you mentioned previously you know it was kind of a generic push for 15 uh and i imagine it wasn't just in california but across many states in the union Um, And now all of a sudden we've gone up to 22. But the legislator I think is being very clever here. Rather than simply pass into law a a $22 minimum wage and and face the voters uh, in November, um, they have kind of put a middleman in between the voter um, and the legislator. And that of course is this wage council. So um, I think the commission idea is relatively novel. Um, And it's a strategic way for the legislator to punt the issue to a commission. A very wise man once said, uh, you know, you form a commission when you want something to go and die there. Well, in this particular instance, um, I I believe the legislator would like the commission to be successful in in setting more onerous working conditions, uh, working standard conditions uh, for fast food industry workers and, and a higher minimum wage. But by handing the baton off to a commission, it's escaping immediate political accountability. The legislator could simply say, oh, well, the commission set the minimum wage to be X and they're chock full of experts uh, and industry leaders. Who are we to disagree with uh, such a bureaucratic masterpiece? So I, I, I think it's strategic. It's something we see at the federal level as well. Congress passes these really, really vague laws with these insanely broad, um, delegations of power to agencies. Those agencies then are granted discretion by the federal courts uh, in, in interpreting their own statutes generally. Uh, and so they're interpreting broad delegations of power very broadly and oftentimes without respect to the context uh, in which the law was originally enacted. Um, so with respect to your original question, I think what we're seeing here is a shift away from the legislator doing something directly and handing it off to commission as a means, I suspect, of escaping political accountability. Yeah, Charles Brand joining us. There's two pieces of criticism for this. You already talked about the first one, that it's basically a backdoor minimum wage raise without going through the process to do so. The other is uh, the concern from some critics 
is that this is part of a larger effort to unionize the entire restaurant industry. Now, there's no secret that they would love to unionize the entire restaurant industry. There's some caveats to that. The, the restaurant industry works heavily on part-time workers. It works on seasonal workers. It works on peak hour workers is a big thing in the service industry, especially fast food industry, because they want people that work peak hours. That means usually people that have certain home circumstances where they can do things like that. These are not things that traditionally go well with a union, but there's a push for a unionization. Talk about how that force and that metric and that dynamic can change something like the fast food industry, which has always been more entry level, has been more flexible hours, both to its detriment of the workers. And, and I'm not saying they shouldn't do some reform on that because the way they jerk their hours away is not fair. Completely understand that. But it does seem to be that they're trying to slam the same old square peg union thing into the very round hole, whether it's actually going to fit or not, without any idea of whether it's going to fit or not. Right. Um, I mean, several CEOs who who fall under the unfortunate purview of this wage council have come out and said, hey, uh, in the short term, we're going to have to pass this on to consumers, uh, the, the increased prices. Um, as a result of all these regulations and these new minimum wages, we will have to pass the prices on to consumers. That means less demand uh, for these fast food um, services or food, rather, I should just say fast food food. Um, and uh, you know, ultimately, it's going to affect the company's bottom line. It could uh, force them to hire fewer workers. Uh, it, it could um, compel them to invest in robotic capital instead of uh you know actual human beings on the working line because they've made the, the financial calculation that it's simply cheaper to invest in robotic capital uh, as opposed to pay 22 up to 22 dollars an hour um, for a worker that the market has not valued at 22 dollars an hour um, so it could uh, eliminate permanently jobs that um, many, you know, high schoolers or, or younger individuals work uh, as their first job, either out of high school or during high school. A lot of those jobs might not exist anymore with regulations like these forcing companies to pay a wage that is just simply not profitable for them. Uh, so it, it, it ultimately it is likely to have effects that are detrimental to the very workers. Um, who the legislator claims um, it is here attempting to uphold. Yeah. And the other part of this, Charles Brand joining us, everybody wants, it's it's easy to take a shot at a company like McDonald's, huge company, the standard bearer in fast food for however many years. But the problem is McDonald's doesn't run all the restaurants. These are franchi franchisee owners. So these are actually small business owners, even though it's a McDonald mega corporation brand. California has a history of this. We saw this with the truck driver regulation where they didn't do a carve out for third party lease owner operators. And we see what happens at the ports where they basically made it illegal instead of doing well, we needed to do a carve out for that specific group.
this feels like one of those things where maybe they're getting way too broad a brush instead of distinguishing. They don't distinguish between a Starbucks and a McDonald's and a Chipotle. They don't distinguish between fast casual and more fine dining. They're not distinguishing between a mega corporation where that argument, even though I still disagree with it, the argument of not passing the buck on would have more validity and these small business owners that are franchisees on it. This seems like a way too broad a brush to me on a practical level. Does it to you as well? It's certainly a broad brush, but what I find especially interesting in regulations of this sort um, is where the legislator has immunized its friends uh, from, from the onerous regulations. So there are two specific exceptions uh, in the Fast Recovery Act, which stands for the Fast Food Accountability and Standards Recovery Act, uh, also known as Assembly Bill 257. There's uh, what, I, what I've coined as the Panera exception. Um, so uh, one provision in this statute provides, and I quote, an establishment that on September 1st, 2022, operates a bakery that produces for sale on the establishment's premises, bread, and I'm skipping ahead a bit, shall not be considered a fast food restaurant so long as it continues to operate such a bakery. This exemption applies only where the establishment produces for sale bread as a standalone menu item and does not apply if the bread is available for sale solely as part of another menu item. Um, so that's the first exception, which is kind of mind boggling in a sense. I think the plain meaning of the term fast food encapsulates the likes of Panera, um, whose food is well fast. And it's generally considered, though you can sit down and eat there much like at a McDonald's. I mean, it is, I mean, it's on all fours with your kind of prototypical fast food joint. Um, for some reason, the legislator has said, eh, no, Panera's fine. We don't need to regulate Panera. Uh, I honestly can't think of a single reason uh, why, you know, especially in light of the um, purpose, the, the, the putative purpose set forth in the legislator, which um, in the preamble of the act recites, um, for years, the fast food sector has been rife with abuse, low pay, few benefits, and minimal job security. With California workers subject to high rates of employment violations, including wage theft, sexual, sexual harassment, and discrimination, as well as heightened health and safety risks. Well, I, I really can't see how that purpose is any less applicable to Panera Bread uh, as to McDonald's or Chipotle. Um, so there's that. There's another arbitrary exception, which seems, uh, you know, what McDonald's CEO said is, is it's really, you know, th these exceptions are the outcome of, of backdoor politicking. Um, and I, I certainly agree with that assessment. But this particular exception um, provides, and I quote, fast food chains, chain, excuse me, means a set of restaurants consisting of 100 or more establishments nationally that share a common brand uh, or that are characterized by standardized options for decor, marketing, packaging, products, and services. So if you uh, uh, are working at a, for a chain, that only has, you know, let's say 100 um, restaurants nationally, you will not fall under uh, the, the jurisdiction of this, this commission. But God forbid you have 101, uh, in which case you are at the mercy of this ultra-powerful regulatory bureaucracy. 
Um, so it, 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 it's arbitrary exemptions like these that raise eyebrows, so to speak, and make me, uh, as a prospective lawyer, uh, uh, question the, 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 the purported reasons for this legislation, or rather how sincere the legislator was in its conviction that these regulations were so necessary as to mandate the creation of an ultra powerful commission. On the plus side, pretty soon you're going to be able to go in the subway and just buy the bread because they're going to want to get all on board with that. So they they will find ways around here. That's why I brought up the loopholes in the truck driver legislation, because every time they do one of these bills, it seems like they leave some kind of loophole that either makes it way worse or that people can exploit to get around what they wanted to do. Uh, Charles Brandt, great information on this, as always. Always appreciate your insight on it. It just seems like once a year we do this with California. Like every, Like literally once a year we do one of these bills. So I don't think they're going to quit doing it. And I think there's going to be some legal changes on what you just said, though, about the fact that they're they're doing some nationalizing regulation in the states and expect that to show up in the courts until uh, we get you back next time, my friend. Hopefully not talking about California, but something else. Uh, let folks know where they can follow you and keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel again. Of course. So you can follow me at uh, uh, Charlie Brandt 44 on Twitter, um, where I post my um, latest op ed pieces. Um, and and other other political takes. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you so much for the opportunity, Andrew, and and thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we always enjoy having you on, my friend. He's a GW, uh, so pray for him as he navigates the utter wilds of DC. Uh, Charles Brandt, good friend of the program. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.